everyone. I'm Rania Kalik, and this is Dispatches. The Western media doesn't usually pay attention to Pakistan, except in as much as it relates to America and the war on terror. So it's hard to know who to rely on for information. Pakistan's recently deposed leader had made claims of an American-backed coup due to his non-aligned foreign policy, and his removal has been followed by massive countrywide protests. Imran Khan was a complicated and contradictory figure who rose to power thanks to his celebrity status and his philanthropy, but also because of his months-long protest movement that dominated the media and captivated attention. He promised a sort of Islamic populism that would have improved social welfare, but he failed to deliver and managed to unite the military, judiciary, and opposition parties against him, as well as the West. Whether or not there was a U.S.-backed coup is a point of great debate. On this program, I recently spoke to a Pakistani professor who argued that it was not a coup, and I've linked to that episode in the description. But judging by the crowds in the street, many Pakistanis believe that there was in fact a coup and that the U.S. played a role. To understand why so many Pakistanis are demonstrating in support of Imran Khan, I'm joined by Azhar Imran, a lecturer of political science at Punjab University. Azhar, welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be on your show, Rania. It's been always an honor uh, to learn from you and the work you've been doing uh, with respect to the Middle East. Honored to be here. Well, thank you so much. And I'm very happy to have you on to try to help us understand what's happening in Pakistan. I just very quickly want to offer a special thanks to Mahnaz and Sarah for helping arrange this. Um, so let's start with, I think, the situation report. You know, Imran Khan was removed How would you describe the process by which Imran Khan was removed? It seemed to follow a normal constitutional procedure. So how can it be called a coup, right? Because there's this big debate about was it a coup, was it not? So can you explain what you believe happened from your point of view? Well, uh, Rani, to be very honest, uh, interestingly, uh, on the surface, it seems that Imran Khan was removed from the premiership uh, under the very much constitutional wings. Uh, But those who are aware of the Pakistani politics, Uh, knows very well that Pakistani politics on the front face, it is run through the constitution, but behind the door, there is also an invisible constitution that is more powerful. Uh, That invisible constitution has, you know, dominated Pakistani politics, what we call the military establishment. And the military establishment, interestingly, uh, to actually play its political role, have always, you know, uh, sought the support of the Supreme Court of Pakistan at the higher judiciary. So in this context, uh, what happens, uh, you know, on the front constitutionally was actually a military judicial coup against the Imran Khan uh, that was very much played, you know, under the carpet of the constitution, under the formula of the constitution. Uh, but behind the scene, it was actually the military judicial establishment that wanted Imran Khan to be ousted. And he was, uh, of course, ousted uh, under a legal process. But the way the process was maneuvered has not only violated the constitution of Pakistan, the idea of the parliamentary uh, supremacy, the separation of you know power between the state institution, mainly judiciary, executive, and of course the legislature. And there are a reasonable number of lawyers who have argued the way Supreme Court actually uh, pushed the vote of no confidence uh, to be uh, you know uh, executed against Imran Khan had actually violated the you know many of the constitution's articles as well as of course the very idea of the parliamentary sovereignty and particularly with reference to parliamentary sovereignty the office of the speaker who is the custodian of the national assembly who has the power to elect as well as the austere prime minister uh, was actually you know made a very 
a postmaster office uh, and a stamped office uh, in this all process. So I think it was uh, fairly, we can call it a, a judicial and military coup under the umbrella of the constitution that I will explain uh, while we move forward. But that, that coup was, of course, abetted by Pakistani liberal media and the many liberal academic intellectuals and activists. So this is how I, I describe this whole scene. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's what we're hearing from a large segment of the Pakistani population. So I just, I guess before we get into some of like the more, you know, detailed stuff, is this like, is this it, do you think, for Imran Khan? Or does he have a chance, do you think, at a comeback? Uh, very interestingly, uh, if you look at the history of Pakistan, that tells us two very interesting things. But I, what, what I think Imran Khan is doing to undo our history this time. So if we look at the previous prime ministers, uh, though since the 1947 Pakistan came into being, none of the prime minister was able to fight back into the power once he was removed uh, by the military, at least not in, uh, for the next five to ten years. So uh, in, in the last 20 years of Pakistani politics, we have seen prime ministers coming and going out. The lately was the prime minister Nawaz Sharif, who was disqualified by the Supreme Court under the you know, corruption charges. And interestingly, Rania, uh, those of Pakistani liberal media outlets who are now calling it a very constitutional process in the context of removal of Imran Khan, were actually calling the removal of the prime minister under the same principle, under the Biden law, the same constitutional structure, were calling it uh, the violation of the constitution and a military and judicial coup, which now they are not subscribing to this idea. Now coming to your question that can Imran Khan make a comeback? This is a very interesting question uh, because there were a lot of media reports uh, which were suggesting that the army had conveyed a very clear meaning uh, to its core constituency, the lower rank officers, and the soldiers who were very concerned about the removal of the Imran Khan uh, because supposedly uh, they were reluctant to accept this new uh, political setup that have huge corruption charges. So the initially what we got to know from media, the reports were that it is the end of the Imran Khan's political innings. But interestingly, uh, what happened on the Sunday night, right after a night he was removed from the office, it has actually turned down the tables. And now the military and its top brass are publicly saying that, that we are going towards the election and whenever the election takes place, uh, it will be free and fair election. And if the Imran Khan may, makes a comeback, we will accept it. Uh, frankly speaking, the anti-Imran Khan media groups were very clear about that it is end of the Imran Khan's politics and he's going to face massive charges of corruption and many other things. So it's very hard for Imran Khan to come back. And right now, uh, when Imran Khan is calling for a fresh election, the opposition and, of course, the military establishment does not want, don't want the election to take place in at least the next six to seven months because it seems that Imran Khan is very popular right now. And if there is an election uh, in a two month or three months under the constitution, he may not only come back to power, but he may even win a simple majority as well. Uh, because we need to understand two things in mind. The austerity for Imran Khan was made so-called constitutional because Imran Khan had a majority seats in the parliament, but did not have a simple majority, uh, which is required to form a government. So he had a coalition government and other two or three parties, one from the Balochistan, which had five seats, uh, Balochistan Awami Party, and the one from the Krachi, the urban center of the Sindh province, MQM, uh, had seven seats. They are very much popular to the Pakistani uh, politics uh, that they actually are controlled by the Pindi, uh, which is actually, uh, you know, a kind of a, uh, a kind of a euphemism for the Pakistani military headquarters. Mm -hmm. So and, and it's very interestingly that before uh, 72 hours before the vote of the no confidence takes place, 
the MQM and the Baluchistan Party actually stepped out of the collision. So they kept they kept waiting the signal from the Pindi, the military establishment. And once that signal was given, uh, they called it for a broader democratic transition. Uh, we need to move forward. So this is how the so-called constitutional process. And here I also want to mention one of the facts that the Supreme Court acted so partisan in whole this scenario uh, that they even uh, made uh, the office of the prime minister paralyzed. That I will explain once we move forward. Okay. So in that sense, you know, how did Imran Khan alienate the people who opposed him? So he kind of like, ultimately, people in his own party, the military, basically the entire opposition united against him. How did that happen? Why did that happen? Very interesting question. I think uh, so many of the Pakistani uh, media outlets are actually accusing Imran Khan for uh, alienating and isolating the opposition. Uh, but I think it, it was not Imran Khan who alienated isolation. So we need to go back to into 2018 that how this powerful, you know, uh, equa- we need to understand uh, and, to, and to go back to 2018 to understand how the Imran Khan came into power. So so basically, uh, when in 2016 and 17, the Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif was ousted through, a, of course, a judicial process, uh, you know, the, the pro Nunli, the pro Nawaz Sharif media wings, and the many of the liberals who were anti of the military establishment role, uh, they started to call it that the military establishment is actually playing the shots. And this was a kind of a judicial coup through which the Nawashri was ousted. So in this context, they started to call that Imran Khan uh, is actually being brought by the military, uh, despite the fact he was a very much popular. So when Imran Khan came into power, so because the military was also being criticized, by the opposition party, and so was the Imran Khan, uh, who was seen as a you know kind of a military's political face. So it actually created an alliance between military and the Imran Khan. So in this context, when the military launched, uh, sorry, when the political parties launched attack on many of the key uh, military leaders, including the sitting army chief and the former DGISI, so it actually created a kind of consensus between Imran Khan and the military because the opposition was launching that attack. Uh, but then, of course, the military did not have an idea that Imran Khan will, you know, once uh, into the power and get his foot strong, his, his foot strong, he will try to actually implement his own uh, civilian foreign policy agenda. And when the Imran Khan tried to do that, uh, this was actually uh, the message from the military that we can't control this guy. So we have to put him into the, you know, a kind of equation. So eventually the military started to have, an, you know, backdoor uh, connection with the opposition parties. And the opposition parties, uh, you know, knew that that we can't into be power unless we have a, some kind of understanding with the military. So this is how equation works. So now that you're coming to your specific question. So actually, the accusations, you know, leveled against Imran Khan by the opposition parties that he was dictatorial or he alienated and isolated was everything that was done by the military. And because mm-hmm. Imran, everything was done by the military because military and the opposition parties were actually colliding personally. And Imran Khan kept it a silent. That could be questionable. But his only political position was that in this context, why he should step into that. And once the fight between military establishment and the Imran Khan begin, the same opposition parties, you know, put all the burden and accusations on Imran Khan that was done by the military establishment. And they had an alliance, you know, a kind of, you know, undeclared alliance with the military establishment to go through this vote of no confidence. So in this context, of course, uh, there is a political angle to that as well because Imran Khan built whole of his political narrative against corruption uh, and the old, you know, kind of 
school of thought that was uh, prevailing in the Pakistani power politics. So in that context, he had to satisfy his constituency as well. But I would call it that Imran Khan did not alienate the opposition. Rather, it was the conflict between the military and the opposition that actually uh, alienated the opposition. And once the military and the Imran Khan had a conflict, opposition stepped in for you know a kind of an alliance with the military and put all the burden on the Imran Khan that he has been the foreign policy failure, he has been the governance failure, he has been the economic failure, just to get back into the power. So this is how the equation has worked. That you know, the question is very important that the same opposition parties in the media who were accusing the same military leadership of violating constitution of you know extrajudicial killing of you know in, enforcing uh, you know enforce disappearances of this human rights activists and civil society activists nor are actually maintaining a complete silence once you know their parties have entered into a power relationship with yeah. the military that's a really no that's a really good point it's um, a very important point and i think you know when we were talking uh, about this before we were recording, you had said something really interesting, which, you know, I, I there's been this, like you mentioned, this narrative about, well, the military supported Imran Khan, they supported his rise to power, and then they opposed him and helped remove him. So in that sense, like, why did the military support him? I've heard the theory that they needed, you know, they needed an anti-American guy in that moment because they have a, they have a different perspective on Afghanistan than the U.S. does. But why? Why, why did the military... I guess either support him or not oppose him initially. Why were they riding the Imran Khan wave? Well, um, uh, Rania, to be very honest, I think there are two theories to uh, undo those theories. Let me first go with this: the very the liberal Pakistani narrative, uh, with who they call this Imran Khan military alliance, uh, the hybrid regime. The very interesting term that I will try to decode as well. So for for them, the narrative was simple: that Imran Khan was able. Uh, to sell the narrative to the military establishment that all those old political parties are tested and tried. Uh, they are a sheer failure. They are corrupt. I have a team and let me uh, come into power and I will reform the economy and I will reform the governance setup and that will give military uh, more space uh, to actually play out uh, its foreign policy agenda. That's a liberal narrative. And according to them, it has been failed. I disagree with that. Uh, I, I, I do think that Imran Khan was fairly popular. And perhaps the most popular politician in the Pakistan back in 2018 and right now. And if there was uh, the political system like the U.S. Uh, presidential political system, uh, one person directly voting for the president, Imran Khan would have won single-handedly. But as we have a parliamentary democracy, so it needed a lot of you know uh, local, constituency, political alliances to be into the power. So military brought it. Uh, what I think military brought it precisely for two reasons. One, the military had gone into conflicts with the old political parties. So military itself needed a kind of a civilian face, a popular civilian face. So the opposition's onslaught and criticism could be neutralized for the domestic masses. The second, and perhaps in my opinion, the most important point was that military, since the Obama's second tenure uh, as a president, had a very poor relationship with the USA, particularly after the assassination of OBL in Islamabad. Uh, the military had a very different point of view with America over Afghanistan. One, the increasing influence of the India in Afghanistan with the backing of, of course, uh, America. Second, the, you know, Ashraf Ghani led Afghan government. The previous government was turning to be very hostile to the Pakistan military uh, because they were accusing for the Taliban's rise. And of course, this, this kind of conflict of interest with America and with Afghan government, they needed a guy 
who is a popular, who actually opposes the, you know, uh, American war on terror. And Imran Khan was opposing the American war on terror from last two decades. So they needed a civilian face who could actually, you know, provide a more democratic face to the anti-American policies and opposition by the military. So it was not Imran Khan who came through the military, you know, hands. I would call it, it was the military who were in need of Imran Khan, who was actually supporting, uh, who was actually opposing American war on terror from the last two decades. And they knew, uh, they needed a public face, a popular political face, who could actually, you know, who, and he, by the way, he was a Pashtun also. So who could actually had a support in the Pashtun areas, uh, adjacent border areas of, of, of Pakistani province, KPK and Afghanistan, but also in the mainland of Pakistan, which is mainly Punjab and the urban Sindh, Karachi and Hyderabad. So Imran Khan was a guy equally popular in the mainland, but also opposing anti-American war on terror. So military actually, military actually wanted to settle the score with the USA through this democratic civilian phase. So they brought Imran Khan into power. And actually, this is the reason that they, they have now kicked Imran Khan out of the power because then they were thinking that we, we, we would somehow control Imran Khan. But right. once, Imran, once Imran Khan back into the power, once Imran Khan was into the power, he actually tried to implement that agenda. And that was not only welcoming Taliban, uh, which is very much problematic, but of course, from the American standpoint of view, it was a very, uh, very smart strategic position. And also the way he dealt with India, then Iran, and then Saudi Arabia and everything. So military started to actually rethink its own strategy. And when, when the American establishment also realized that we were okay with the military establishment because if we had put some pressure, they will come to listen to us. But this civilian guy is not able to listen to us. So eventually, I think there was some background understanding between Pentagon and Pakistani, of course, military establishment. And then they did not think out how to get out of Imran Khan. So eventually, it took some time. And this is how the things got to manage. Uh, to host Imran Khan under a constitutional process, which was very much a judicial military coup. Well, you know, in that in that sense, when we talk about his rise and the military sort of writing it, like how important was the military in the rise of Imran Khan as opposed to the so-called lawyers movement? And could you maybe explain what that movement was? Well, interestingly, uh, to be very frank, Ramya, uh, I was then, lawyer movement was the first uh, political movement that I became part of it. Uh, then I was studying at Punjab University in law college as a first year student, and we became very much part of it. So uh, so I can tell from my personal experience, there were two theories, and those theories later on turned to be true. Uh, the first theory was it was a genuine democratic movement that we believed to be part of that. But later on, as we were, you know, undergrad, revolutionary, so when we grew up and we got to know that in terms of real politics, the things were taking place differently. So the, the theory was that Musharraf was becoming too unpopular and military uh, thought that what they wanted to do in Afghanistan, Musharraf's unpopularity was a barrier. And America was also on the same page that Musharraf has now become a lame duck. He cannot deliver American objective in Afghanistan. So we needed a popular face, a popular democratic face. So in this context, military and of course the American establishment uh, were very much you know, withdrawing their support from the Musharraf. And according to many, uh, you know, theories now which have turned to be true, that uh, Pakistan's intelligence agencies were backing the lawyer movement to get Musharraf under pressure so that he could be pushed for resign. And this turned to be true when American had an NRO, you know, National Reconciliation Ordinance, 
a kind of an agreement between Musharraf and then late Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto uh, to actually fight, you know, politically together. And this is how the Musharraf, you know, was overthrown uh, from the power. And Benazir was attempted to bring back for actually a popular phase to continue supporting war on terror with the military establishment and with the help of the Pentagon. But unfortunately, she died and she was assassinated in a terrorist suicide uh, attack, which is still unclear who carried out that. But the reports were it was TTP Pakistan, Tariqe Taliban Pakistan. So in that way, liar movement was also backed and supported by the military intelligence of Pakistan because they thought Musharraf was not only becoming a liability for military, but also uh, American did not want him to continue because he was uh, so unpopular to deliver anything meaningful to Americans in the Afghanistan. So in this context, military wanted a new civilian face and so were the Americans. So eventually the, there was an agreement with the help of America between Benazir Bhutto and the President Musharraf. So this is the equation. I think the similar kind of things had happened in the context of Imran Khan as well uh, because the Pentagon, Pentagon has realized that it is better to have disagreements but continue working with the Pakistani military establishment than to have a guy uh, who's been going to be, uh, you know, totally opponent to the American uh, military policies in this region and who will not become part of any of the American future military contingencies in the context of China or Iran. And there is also an interesting fact, Rani, that we need to keep in mind. The only prime minister in last 20 years who have not met the director and the chief of the CIA who has visited Pakistan is Imran Khan. I think Michael wow. Hayden, that's very interesting. So so uh, I'm sure you, you, you are aware of his interview in which he said absolutely not when a U.S. journalist asked uh, to have a military basis in case America asked you uh, to have a counter-terrorist attack mm -hmm. inside Afghanistan. And he said absolutely no. And the reports came out that in after this interview, the CIA chief came to Pakistan uh, to talk to Imran Khan and the military establishment about potential possibility of uh, American CIA and, of course, the military having bases inside Pakistan to launch counter-terrorist attacks inside Afghanistan. And interestingly, Imran Khan refused to meet the CIA chief because he said uh, he's an you know intelligence chief, so it is against the protocols uh, to the prime minister of the head of the government should be meeting a CIA chief. He should be meeting the intelligence chief and army chief of Pakistan and should convey his message to them rather than seeing the prime minister. And that is unbelievable in the context of Pakistan, where we have seen the average senators and the congressmen are walking into prime minister office like the viceroys, and they are actually talking to prime ministers and president for hours. And here comes the CIA chief and the prime minister refused to meet him. So it also sent a very clear message to, you know, uh, uh, Washington Pentagon, but also it sent a message very clear to the Americans as well, that this time, if you talk to the army, you should not be believing that your things would be done unless there is a civilian go ahead with that. Because previously, the Americans had this practice that they will only meet the prime minister, but they will talk serious matters to the military and the intelligence chiefs. But this time, the prime minister gave a very clear meaning that even if you take them on board and I'm not on board, this is not going to happen. And this is what the story has been. Well, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that the removal of Imran Khan has provoked some of the largest protests in Pakistan's history, you know, both in support of him, but also what seems to be in opposition to the traditional elites. So is this just about Imran Khan or is it also about a hatred of the ruling elites? Uh, well, uh, Rania, to be very honest, I think it would be too simplistic. 
uh, to call those protests only in love of Imran Khan, the way Pakistan, the way Pakistani liberals are actually, you know, uh, pitching that that he's a celebrity, a philanthropist, you know, an upper middle class is in love with his personality. I think this this very simplistic, and I would call a political nonsense. I have been to these protests as well, and I have a lot of disagreements with Imran Khan, uh, particularly particularly his position on, you know, and his statements on women as well and gender issues as well. I've been very critical of that. But we went to support Imran Khan. And I think there are multiple reasons. One, uh, these protests are unprecedented to the Pakistan's history. If we look at the history of Pakistan, all those previous prime ministers, when they were removed either by military coups or by the judiciary and the Supreme Court, the people would have come on the roads to actually celebrate that removal. You know, mm-hmm. whether whether it was in the 90s, the Nawaz Sharif government or the BB government and people will welcome the military and the army chief would become a hero. But what we are witnessing this time that unprecedentedly the, the man Imran Khan was sitting in his home and he just tweeted that you need to come out to save Pakistan. And there were massive, massive, massive protests, unparalleled and unprecedented. And what I call these protests, because I was part of those protests, they were actually, you know, spontaneous and leaderless. So this is the this is the one perspective. It's not simply Imran Khan. I think I would agree to you that there is a lot of hatred and failure of the all previous political elites. They have no policies to reform, reform health system, no policies to overcome the problems of unemployment, the stagnant economic issues. And of course, at the same time, massive corruption. For example, uh, I will talk to you uh, later on. Uh, the sitting prime minister has heavy charges of corruption, the Shabazz Sharif, and his son, who is going to be the chief minister of the largest province, has also heavy charges of corruption as well. So so there is a lot of actually disenchantment with the previous political elite as well. So I would call it, it is, you know, maybe it is in love of Imran Khan as well, but it is more important to see it in terms of hatred and failure of all the previous status quo political parties. And then I think there is also a third phenomena, and that's what I call the youth phenomena. So Pakistani mm-hmm. youth, uh, which is largest in terms of population, is around 60%. And many of the, many of the liberal writers have uh, written, written it off that they are emotional with no understanding of history and irrational. But if you talk to them, they have one very genuine question, that what is their future? And how we are going to actually have a bright future and sustainable economy when we have such corrupt, you know, people in power as well. And because of war on terror, we have lost a lot of economically and human casualties. And the only person who spoke against war on terror, and for very reason, the Imran Khan was also called by the liberals the Taliban Khan. So they actually, so they actually see some hope in that because if we are not having a bright future, jobs and employment. At least we should get rid of this war on terror thing that has damaged the society badly and have increased the extremism and religious fundamentalism in our society. So unless or until we get out of this war, we are unable to overcome that. So that's the second factor, I, I call it. The third factor was also that there is a huge anti-American constituency in Pakistan. Not because the Pakistani people are like they have in their genes to hate America. But the, so, but, but, but because of what America has done to this region. So we have, on the, we have Iran as our neighbor and we are seeing huge sanctions on Iran and Pakistan has a cultural and religious relationship with Iran. Then we have seen the war on terror and then have, we have seen our Pashtun brothers and sisters becoming victim of war on terror, uh, both in Pakistani Pashtun areas, the KPK, and also in the Afghanistan as well. 
so there so and if you if you understand I, i think you would be better able to understand and make sense of that that imran khan's majority support is not coming from punjab is not coming from karachi or sindh it is coming from pashtun area the kpk the khyber pakhtunkhwa province where his government his party is in power from last 10 years and he had won in 2018 in the provincial assembly the two third majority which has never happened in the history of khyber pakhtunkhwa not a single party which has ruled khyber pakhtunkhwa since creation of pakistan was able to have two third majority and ibrahim khan has a two third majority because of his policy apart from the governance so i think there were multiple factors so 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 there was this feeling also that if imran khan is being removed by imran america so we are may, we may be going again to the american war on terror or we, we may be facing a new war so there was multiple factors that led to his popularity and of course uh, then there was uh, there a lot of urban constituency that imran khan enjoys a sport uh, as someone uh, who has talked about you know national sovereignty the independent foreign policy no foreign dictation and i think these are the ideas very close to people of pakistan because i have talked to a lot of my students although i, I also come from a working class background and of course uh, a public schooling but when i talk to the pakistani students studying in public sector universities they at least say that if we don't have a hope or optimism about economy about job about education at least we should have some respect for our national sovereignty and some kind of foreign independent foreign policy so and the liberal would call it is a populism but there are genuine actually you know a grounded roots of having claim for national sovereignty and independent foreign policy so these are the multiple factors that i would call it the reason that gave imran khan such a huge support once he was ousted from the premiership and you you touched on this briefly but i'd like you to elaborate you know is it fair to say that khan rejects salafi fundamentalist islam for a more sufi islam on the side of social justice and that this has helped provoke the right wing religious parties against him because i mean some even made death threats against him and then on top of that you know why did some of the elite liberal left of the country call him as you mentioned taliban khan if that's the case i i think uh, two two very interesting things if we look at the life of imran khan and his political position on the religion i would rather call it a very much moderate muslim of course one can disagree with his understanding of religion as well uh, but also we need to understand why do imran khan uh, uses the religion into politics uh, let's go back into 90 mid 1990s uh, and i'm sure you know that he was mar- he was then married to jamaima khan uh, the british uh, you know uh, uh, celebrity so when he imran khan started his poli- po- politics you know jamaim being married marrying to jamaima he was accused of being the jewish lobby and he was accused of you know a kind of you know a, a hostility to the islam and a threat to the muslims and islamic culture of pakistan so he was actually pushed to use that uh, religious card for his you know uh, uh, safety as well as a form of that uh, secondly he genuinely believed that if we have any progressive future of our people and our state it should come through a religious idea of welfare states which he quite oftenly associates with state of state of medina the early state during the time of the prophet peace be upon him so this is what actually you know and at the same time he also criticizes the very you know kind of the western role in our region as well so in this context these all factors come together uh, to actually make liberal anti of imran khan on the one side uh, he talks about that we have only a future of a welfare state under the 
principles of Islam, a moderate Islam, where you know the poors are actually looked after by the state, where health is funded by the state, where education is funded by state. But he doesn't use the language of secularism or the modern Western political lexicology. He rather uses the more cultural context of religion. And I think that's understandable because this will make his message to be more resonant to the people. So that's what liberals call it actually, you know, the kind of a fundamentalist. Second, when he speaks in the language of religion and opposes the Western imperialism or Western wars in this region, it also creates, you know, a kind of, you know, uh, uh, unsatisfaction among the liberals because the, their, their very idea of democracy has come from the West. And when they have to, when they have to talk about a secular democracy, they have to look forward for the West as a model of democracy. And when Imran criticizes that their democracies are actually creating, you know, uh, extremism and terrorism in our societies and bringing the imperialist war into our region, it also delegitimizes their, their very discourse of democracy as a secular project. And of course, there are some, uh, what I call it, the identity politics. So if you look at these liberal left, uh, many of them uh, have been teaching and writing in the West and USA uh, and, and Britain, of course. Uh, many of them have been direct beneficiary of the Western uh, so-called developmental projects. Uh, I'm sure you know about USAID, United States Agency for International Development, which, which actually provides a huge number of scholarships to Pakistani students to pursue their master's and PhD programs, uh, particularly after war on terror and 9-11. And if you look at the statistics, majority of the number of students who have won and gone to the scholarships to study in US and UK actually come from these very liberal left background. Mm -hmm. And then and then there comes an NGO, you know, a kind of a class as well, who actually do a lot of social work, but the funding is coming from the USAID and all that. So the, these, there is an, you know, identity politics as well. And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, many of the liberals think that that in the uh, you know new context of Pakistan foreign policy, it's better to be with Saudis and with the you know Washington, the old alliance, than to be part of the you know Tehran or the Beijing. So there is mm -hmm. also this cultural disconnectivity, so-called, uh, with with Chinese and Beijing, because in the private meetings they make joke and fun of the Beijing and the Chinese, and there's a lot of unfortunately racism to that as well. So there's a lot of fact, there are a lot of factors that is keeping them uh, you know uh, restless with respect to rise of Imran Khan. So it would be very naive and I would literally laugh out uh, as the, you know, in, in last interview, my dear friend Tamur called it that Pakistan is 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 like, you know, uh, a fundamentalist and Islamist. That was literally a shock and surprise for me. But then coming from his background, Tamur teaches at Lums, the, what I call, you know, the European University or the American University in Pakistan, like American University in Beirut. So, and he lives in a very compartmentalized life in one of the richest areas of Pakistan and doesn't understand the mainstream Pakistan. So that was understandable. It is the Pakistan. So, I, for example, I come from Jang and he was talking about Jang in your interview, uh, which have seen perhaps the most bloody sectarian violence in late in, from 1990s till the mid of 2020. Uh, the reason was because there was a huge uh, Shia Sunni, uh, you know, uh, clashes in my district. Many of my friends lost their parents and all that. And I have been to those madrasas. And there is, in, in last 10 years, there's a huge decline in this. And you, and that was in a very short area or short region. And to call whole Pakistan an extremist society or a religious fundamental society, it would be literally, you know, a kind of a joke. Pakistan is thousands times ahead of Iran and Saudi Arabia. And the, he, the way he was arguing, 
it seemed that Pakistan is actually worse than Iran and Saudi Arabia. So I won't subscribe to this. Yes, some of the Imran Khan's position on religions are really contestable, are sometimes problematic, but it is not that. For example, I would give you the argument that if we look at uh, the restoration of the religious worship places of non-Muslim minorities in Pakistan, uh, the number of worships that have been restored under Imran Khan time has never been restored in the previous governments. We have seen, you know, the churches to be rebuilt. Uh, we have seen the, you know, uh, the Hindus' religious places to be rebuilt. And we have seen a huge, you know, renovation and rebuilding of the uh, six pilgrimages and religious places, particularly the opening of the Kartarpur corridor as well. So, so because Imran Khan see, see the Pakistani civilization as an opening opportunity for interacting and, of course, inviting the religious tourism as well, which you will never see, which you will never come across to observe in the context of the Pakistani mainstreams, uh, English-speaking media and, and the newspapers as well. Well, so, um, you know, I wanted to also give you the opportunity to respond to, because I know that I don't, I think that you disagree with this claim, if I'm not mistaken. There's the idea that Khan is this right-wing populist. He's been described as a right-wing populist. So how do you respond to that characterization? Do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? Why? Well, I think this is this is extremely, you know, a nonsense what, if, if anyone is making a claim. And I know a lot of people are making the claim. So, so let's get into the practice. So Imran Khan, when he's been called as right-wing populist, he's been compared with either Narendra Modi, the Indian Prime Minister, or the Brazilian President, uh, Jed Bolsonaro. So, so Rania, you know better than me uh, what Modi have been doing to the Muslims uh, with respect to you know, amendments in the law and bringing Muslims actually to the second-class citizens and Jed Bolsonaro. Uh, for example, the Imran Khan has been called a right-wing populist. So if you look at Imran Khan, uh, his his whole of the policies are in the context of you know a progressive welfare state that no right wing populist will talk about. So, for example, look at his uh, his domestic policies. He has always spoken in terms of welfare state that no right wing populist will argue. Look at his foreign policy. He has always uh, spoken that I will be a friend to the West in terms of peace, in cooperation, in economic development, but I will not be the friend of the West in waging war, in extending war, occupation of the sovereign people and their territories. So, to, so I think to call Imran Khan a right-wing populist is extremely uh, biased. And I think uh, because of the personal hatred that you don't like the guy and his politics. And also, uh, if we look at that, it was the Imran Khan, when he came into power, he extended the hand of peace with India. And he offered the Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, that if actually uh, you move one step for peace, Pakistan will move two steps for peace. So if a person who's a populist right wing, why he would be talking about having peace with India? Why he would be opposing the wars uh, in Afghanistan? Why he would be talking about that we want to have a regional cooperation with Russia, with China, with Iran, but we will not becoming a state that actually been perceived as, a, as someone that provides you know, military machines to the West uh, for killing the people, for the Western interest. So I think that was a very much clear that he does not carry a right-wing populist ideology the way we see in the context of Trump or Jared Bolsonaro, but also in the case of Narendra Modi. One point that I would love to make it here, that's very interesting uh, because it also makes very much relevant for Pakistani liberals to call Imran Khan a right-wing populist 
uh, again for identity politics for example for them for most of them not for all but for most of them america is an ideal democracy so when um, trump becomes the president and moves into white house how they are going to answer to the pakistani audience that how our democracy has been hijacked by a right wing white supremacist and right. similarly similarly the same constituency of pakistani liberals argue for peace with india and how they are going to respond to the pakistani masses when we see the new delhi has a right wing hindu marks hindu a uh, racist prime minister so eventually they will actually come to defend their their you know defense of american democracy and the indian democracy by equating look because we are also having a right wing populist so that's why the india and the us are having a right wing populist although there is a hell of difference between trump between you know between modi and imran khan imran khan has built his politics one as a support star and second because of his massive uh, philanthropic work which includes one cancer hospital and also a university so i think that's a very much unfair equation and even to you talk to pakistani masses they will not be able to understand what does the term right wing populist mean you know in the context because yeah. they see it, they, they 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 actually see it in the more context of of the pakistani politics uh, one last point uh, about that why i don't think he's a right wing populist uh because i think imran khan's use of religion and this popular narrative also also are uh, to be seen in the context of pakistani politics uh for example rania in pakistani politics uh the 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 national ideological narrative has always been dominated by the military while first while first time we are seeing that imran khan while using the religion as a national discourse or national narrative and linking linking it with a you know kind of welfare state has pushed the military on the back benches otherwise it was military who used to be claimed to be national narrative in the language of religion first time we are seeing a civilian having a claim on national narrative and actually disassociating the dominance of military so this is also a unique perspective that we need to look into the pakistani politics well said well you know I also this is something you also referenced but I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit. What was Imran Khan's role in opposing drone strikes and military operations in Pakistan's tribal region uh to oppose drone strikes and like those military operations like what was his role and do you think that made that that played a role at all in his ouster? his position on those things I, i i think i would agree with you uh, but before on to explain this i think it's very important to make one more point very clear most of the pakistani leftist who are now standing with the current regime the prime minister shahbaz sharif and the you know on the back of that is a military establishment and and they were actually supporting imran khan's position of not allowing drone strikes as well as military operation in the pakistani tribal areas they then supported imran khan but then now they actually oppose imran khan because they think that imran khan is a right wing populist now the question is if imran khan when op- was opposing american military operations and drone strike inside the tribal areas of pakistan and you call it a pure progressive you know anti imperialist policy why you are actually calling for the same thing imran khan is saying now that we should not become part of the american war on terror and by providing military bases to american war on terror to continue operate from our soil and use our air space will actually uh, give a very bad message 
are to the Afghanistan and the Afghan people, nor the same left and the same liberals are actually called on the same ground as a right-wing populist. Now, coming back to your question, that's very interesting. I think no politician has opposed as much Pakistani military establishment, the President Jannah Musharraf, and the American military establishment with respect to war on terror, as has done the Imran Khan. And I think that was the very precise reason that military was uncomfortable with him. Uh, because because military had its own disagreement with Imran Khan. Uh, sorry, military had its own disagreement with USA with respect to the war on terror and its modalities. But military actually uh, never stood by the Imran Khan narrative that, that he totally opposed the military operation and drone strikes. Because there are a lot of reports now that military was also you know, providing the intelligence uh, to the CIA for the drone strikes. So I think it, it is the drone strike incident, the drone strike episode has only been kept alive by one person in Pakistani politics, and that has been the Imran Khan. And no other politician has spoken so vigorously uh, because now we have seen a lot of media reports in which uh, there are books as well and the media reports in the U.S. media where the former pr president uh, Zardari, now the PPP chairman, and many other prime, uh, you know, ministers have, are, you know, gave a tacit support to the American to continue the drone strikes as well. I think. Uh, one of the reasons that Imran Khan has been ousted, I would not precisely link it with his opposition to, you know, the drone strike. I think that's a minor episode, but I would rather call it his overall opposition to the American uh, involvement in Afghanistan or in Pakistani tribal areas once the American had withdrawn. So this was unacceptable to Americans and as well as to the military establishment, because after all, Pakistan military establishment with all disagreement has its major support and its major interest with respect to military and economy with the American establishment. So American, so military establishment also thought that we do have disagreements with the Pentagon, but we don't want such a powerful guy in, in the prime minister office who could actually go to that length to change the uh, what I call the paradigm shift in Pakistan's foreign policy that Imran Khan was trying to do. And then, you know, Prior to, I guess, moving to more net like the today, prior to the war in Ukraine, um, Imran Khan's non-aligned position on that issue uh, obviously raised a lot of eyebrows. What was his relationship like, though, with the U.S. government prior to the war in Ukraine, you know, and his position on that? I think I think that, of course, I would go back to 2016. Uh, because when the President Obama was uh, almost to exit from the uh, White House and the Trump had to step in, I think the Pakistan army had problem with America on policy disagreements with respect to Afghanistan. And Imran Khan was the one who was always calling out that Americans should withdraw, we will support you, we will help the negotiating process. So I think uh, uh, I would call it that there were no uh, you know, kind of active relationship but there were no passive relationship as well during the time of the uh, American President Trump because Trump wanted to withdraw due to his own foreign policy agenda. And it actually suited Pakistan that we should support American withdrawal and should bring Taliban on the negotiating table. And that's why uh, in the second half of the President Trump, Imran Khan was invited by President Trump to visit the White House uh, with respect to what's going on in Afghanistan. But as you know, that American military establishment uh, and, and the Pentagon did not want to withdraw. And they opposed, uh, we know that they opposed Trump policy of withdrawal as well. And in this context, in this context, the American military establishment thought that 
with the help of pakistani intelligence and military establishment we can actually defeat the taliban and and this was the bone of the contention that actually uh, was present between pakistan imran khan military establishment and the american military establishment as well but trump was the major you know barrier to that but once the trump lost the election and biden was back to the power and biden was the vice president under president obama so he knew it very well that what are our problem with the pakistan military establishment and because when when you know uh, president biden was vice president he visited pakistan and imran khan actually uh, you know uh, called for a protest when he was in pakistan uh, in islamabad so american establishment did not consider imran khan as a viable option so i would say that during the trump administration because somehow trump wanted to withdraw so there was a kind of line of communication but once the biden was back into white house and biden knew it that imran khan was opposing america's war on terror so he did not uh, consider uh, imran khan to to talk about the pakistan issue and i think this was the major reason that brought pentagon and pakistan military establishment background to work on some kind of workable relationship and i think what i call the coup that american gave a message to the military establishment very clearly that we are willing to work with you we are willing to overcome the issues that uh, the both military establishment have the president biden is okay with that but we cannot work with the prime minister imran khan because he called osama bin laden the martyr he called taliban the freedom fighter he called american foreign policy the failure in the region he called iranian the very self esteemed nation so when he was talking so much about anti america even becoming after becoming prime minister so i i don't think so the hubris of the american imperialism will give that man a space uh, to negotiate so that was how the oster was actually executed And you know also speaking of his foreign policy Khan had recently signaled a desire to improve ties with India which you mentioned yes. he had also yes. refused to condemn China after western allegations of human rights abuses against uh against Uyghurs in Xinjiang was this controversial in Pakistan and overall I know it was controversial in the US of course and also you know did Khan take a position on Kashmir or Palestine that was different from his predecessor or successor thank you very much for asking this question because i think this should be the center of our program that we are having uh yes i would i would you know i totally agree with you uh let's start with the china question and look i i think uh, khan's position on china was uh very realistic and diplomatic i'm not saying that he did not have concern the reports coming out about weaker muslim uh, and the role of the chinese state i personally think that he uh, off the record many of his minister conveyed that he had conveyed his concern but given the strategic relationship that pakistan have with china it was not uh, you know friendly uh, to call out diplomatically and publicly so i think so and also in pakistan people majority of the people are unconcerned about the china pakistan thing and the human rights thing as well yes interestingly the liberals who called imran khan's position problematic are rather called chinese stooge actually the one who actually made it a human rights issue while the these liberals you know kept silent when he was opposing american atrocities in afghanistan and war on terror mm-hmm. one point uh, the second point look the pakistan's policy on you know kashmir has been uh, in two ways i will explain one that we cannot have a peace with india unless the kashmir is resolved second that we will not accept any other solution except the kashmir to become part of pakistan 
and that has been the policy that has been dictated by the military you know interestingly yeah. interestingly when the prime minister nirendra modi uh, amended the status of the kashmir and divided the kashmir territory and some of its hindu majority areas of kashmir were brought under the control of the new delhi the federal government and imran khan went to the pakistani part of the kashmir and addressed their legislative assembly and here he made a very historic speech and he said that we will respect the kashmiri decision on kashmir even if they want an independent and separate state so once the kashmir has got freedom from india we will accept the kashmiri decision if they want to separate from pakistan and they want to have a separate independent state and that actually sent a very shock wave to the military establishment as well that has never been the military establishment position and nor have it been the pakistan's official diplomatic position in uno and in the western forums so it was the prime minister imran khan who even extended the right of self determination to kashmiris to the extent to become independent if they get freedom from india so that was historical now coming to the second part uh, there are reports in media that and i think those reports are true that why military establishment finally decided to send to send imran khan Uh, to whom the reason was that military establishment wanted uh, to start back channel negotiation with india and there were reports that the pakistani djisi had been meeting indian national security adviser uh, and when there was a breakthrough happening uh, imran khan was the one who actually you know pulled it out uh, to break through to not happen why because imran khan put a very term and condition that until or unless prime minister nindra modi uh, withdraws all those constitutional and legal actions which have abrogated the autonomous status of kashmir and had broken the status quo in kashmir pakistan will not initiate any kind of economic or diplomatic activity while the military while the military wanted that that we should go for negotiation what has happened in kashmir has happened so let's forget it was the imran khan who thought that it would be a political suicide and he would become a villain in the eyes of kashmiris and if you talk to kashmiri diaspora today in west in american europe and in kashmir literally you know no one is talking about in pakistani media the protests that have happened in indian kashmir with the ouster of imran khan and also the kashmir of pakistan because they thought that they have got first time a prime minister who does not speak the language of military establishment on kashmir so that was the, his position on kashmir where he actually had gone you know out of the pakistan traditional policy where we consider kashmir as integral part of pakistan but he talked about the right to self determination now coming to palestine mm-hmm. so i'm sure he, so coming to palestine that's very interesting uh, as the pakistan's current army chief had served in the uno peacekeeping missions so and there were reports that the military establishment and if you look at the pakistan military top brass the next four or five generals who are in line to become the next army chief because the current army chief is going to retire in november and there are reports that it was also one of the reasons that imran khan was ousted because the military establishment did not want imran to appoint a new army chief who would support his foreign policy agenda mm. so if we look so if we look at the current four or five top generals in line who are going to be next among among them are going to be one of the going to be the next army chief uh, all of them have a western academic background and they have studied in american military academies so this this was also one of the factors so there are reasonable reports that those journalists who are considered close to pakistan military establishment were asked to actually start debates and programs that why pakistan is not accepting the israel 
and there were lot of programs that in my adult life i have not seen taking place in pakistani urdu media on mm. tv channels on tv channel and creating a public opinion a normalizing relationship with the israel and 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 when Uh-oh. it was asked, and, and and you could you could see that and when it was asked about military spokesperson so we have a military spokesperson uh, called you know the an institution uh, that actually talks military's position on issues uh, it is run by what we call ISPR inter services public relationship so the military spokesperson uh, came onto the media and when he was asked what do you think are these debates starting place and taking place in pakistani media about is right he said pakistan you know supports the palestinian but we are okay if there are more freedom of speech to discuss our foreign policy so you see uh-huh. they were they were they will never previously allow that but yeah. this time the military had a more soft position and tried to paint themselves as a champion of freedom of speech so we should discussing in urdu media and urdu tv channels about israel and then the prime minister imran khan had then the prime minister imran khan was criticized that somehow he is also supporting this narrative and then he came on the front he addressed the public rallies and he said that that israel is an enemy of palestine and until unless israel grants the right to self determination and state to the palestinian people no one can dare to accept and recognize israel as part of pakistan diplomatic relationship and he categorically stated that not in my prime ministership but even if i'm out of the office and any government tries to do that i will not let it happen with the people power and i think the message was very clear because the military establishment was thinking that with the having diplomatic relationship with israel we will have more weapons we will have more influence and clout in washington dc and pentagon and we may be able to neutralize the india as well and mm. frankly speaking frankly speaking all those people who were calling imran khan right wing populist propagandist they actually used his anti israel narrative to advocate their stance that that's why he is a populist right wings he is not opposing israel for principal position for a palestinian but he is doing for his own politics and and the liberals welcome that and, and many of pakistani retired bureaucrats welcome that many generals welcome and the pakistani media the english media particularly welcome that that we should actually have an open debate it was imran khan who called it off that we will not so so if you talk to kashmiris and if you talk to palestinians and and one of the reason that in the first time in the history of pakistan that any prime minister has been removed and there are protest in london in washington in australia in new zealand all over the western capitals and if you look at that majority of the people who protested outside pakistan were actually kashmiris and there were lot of arabs and the palestinians as well so i wanted to ask you uh on a bit of a different topic here and that is how important in pakistan is the IMF the International Monetary Fund and was Imran Khan opposed to further dependence on it and if so is there even an alternative to the IMF uh frankly speaking i think uh unfortunately i'm a bit critical of imran khan's relationship with imf as well uh i i i i'm i think i think you know he continued with the imf policies uh but one must acknowledge that that he did not have an option when he came into power the economy was in a very you know a uh, poor condition and we did not have an option and although imran khan had previously uh before becoming the prime minister has opposed imf policies and he made many popular statements as well uh, but when he came into power he was initially reluctant to go with imf agenda and plans uh this is what his economic policy was but economy was in a very poor condition he did not have an option 
and, and he had to go for IMF. Uh, unfortunately, the IMF plan had a very poor impact on our economy. And then we had also to go through the COVID as well. So certainly the IMF plan uh, program had, uh, you know, had a inflation, poverty, unemployment. But Imran Khan did have a plan and he was trying that once, you know, the COVID is over and we are able to bring back our economy with five or six percent of annual growth, we will definitely go to get out of IMF. But yes, uh, I would agree uh, with those who are critics of Imran Khan with respect to IMF because Imran Khan had continued previously policies of IMF. But then I would agree there is no option that Pakistan should go for unless Pakistan increases uh, tax collection and unless Pakistan actually you know, uh, increases its exports as well. There is no alternative to that. Uh, there were altern alternative to IMF and World Bank and it was either the Saudi Arabia or the China. But then, of course, Imran Khan offended Saudi Arabia as well uh, because of his principal support for Iran and his principal support for Palestine and his opposition to Israel as well. And I'm sure you, will, you, you have the knowledge that Imran Khan was also <clears throat> uh, creating an you know, anti-Islamophobic alliance with the help of Iran, Turkey and Malaysia. And they all actually, uh, uh, and Saudis considered against their foreign policy and trust. So Pakistan was also forced to go for IMF uh, because there was no option uh, for Pakistan than the IMF. Because if we had to have borrowed loans from, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia, we had to compromise our foreign policy. And if we had to borrow loans from China, uh, I, I don't think so the, the amount of the loan was enough uh, to compensate our economic problem. So that's why he, he, he had to go for IMF. But he, in his repeated speeches, has said that, that this is a temporary solution. This is not the final solution. And sooner or later, we had to overcome and one reason that he went to Russia was that, that if we had some kind of energy and other you know, imports from Russia, it will actually uh, you know, give us more stability with respect to dollars. And we would have less, less dependency on IMF World Bank as well. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly suspicious that the entire corrupt political class, the mainstream media, the corrupt judiciary, the military high command, like all at the same time want this guy out, especially after his Russia visit. Uh, and it all happened at once. But, you know, I wanted to ask you, you teach at a at Pakistan's largest public sector university in Lahore, which is Punjab University. And in Pakistan, the divide between the elites and most of the population uh, resembles kind of like the feudal era, which I think is true of a lot of countries in the developing world. And many of your students uh, hail from Pakistan's lower socioeconomic strata, if I'm not mistaken. So, that said, you know, how did or how do the poor and working classes, I know you can't speak for all of them, but generally speaking, how do the poor and working classes view Imran Khan? Well, I think uh, if I have to uh, answer your question uh, in terms of politics, I think he enjoys the mass support, mass popularity. That's what my personal experience is, because I also come from a rural background and I teach at a public sector university and I mostly engage with the you know, a lower uh, middle class and working class students. So he enjoys a mass popularity and supports and that support. And that's why we have seen massive protests as well. In terms of politics, uh, because Pakistan has a parliamentary democracy and when these people have to vote, I think that would be uh, still a very uh, challenging thing for Imran Khan to convert their vote into a political power. Because in Pakistan, 
uh, we have a parliamentary democracy an indirect way of election of prime minister and lot of local realities come into play uh, for for the voting consideration but no doubt as long as his support is concerned i think it would i would call it a myth and i would call it you know a deliberate you know uh, intellectual bankruptcy and dishonesty to call imran khan's movement a middle class or upper middle class movement he enjoys a huge support among the working class particularly the working class students and and those working class students are not only the punjabis but also the pashtuns and also in the urban areas of the sind mainly in karachi as well so i would say that he enjoys a mass support uh, when last time i went to the protest after his oster it was not only the middle class and upper middle class coming to the protest i have seen a lot of working class student who were actually you know are uh, traveling on public transport to be part of the protest as well so i think that's a myth or a deliberate you know intellectual dishonesty to call his support and movement only among the middle class or upper middle class and then you know i i know that that you we had talked about this before there are tensions between the army and problems with the popularity of the army chief right the army chief yeah. does of course have an outsized role for what we would call a democracy. So can you talk a little bit about those tensions and the decreased popularity for the army chief and what that means with respect to Imran Khan? Uh well, uh, this is a really difficult question uh to answer uh, with with honesty while sitting in uh, Pakistan because you 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 have to look after your security as well. But let me try to ex- try to explain uh, into two or three contexts. Well, uh well the criticism that has been uh, taking place against army chief is not first time uh the same army chief was criticized by the pakistani liberals and the english press uh back in 2018 what they called supposedly the hybrid regime of imran khan and they called the current army chief as an instrumental for bringing this hybrid regime into power and now the same liberal press and the same media is actually calling the army chief the neutral the pro democrat the champion of the democracy and of course you know and, and and he has stood firm to the constitution because the so called imran khan tried to abrogate the constitution now coming to that i think uh, yes i would agree to you that pra- the army chief is going through perhaps uh, a very huge popularity crisis uh, because one reason which we can talk about i have spoken to lot of you know soldiers and officers and there are media reports as well that the among the young officers and the soldiers the first time we are seeing a civilian prime minister who's more popular than an army chief and if you and there is an interesting equation that all those middle class and upper middle class urban areas where imran khan enjoys support all those supporters are having military background so that's very interesting and many of the analysts argued that after such a massive support and slogan against army chief why the army did not pick the people because most of them were coming from military background and there is also reason that i call it that you know right now the army chief is under heavy clouds uh, because because uh, if imran khan was able to build his narrative uh, that there is an american conspiracy to that very strongly and then there came the question by the retired officers and soldiers that if it was an american conspiracy why did army remain neutral that was army's official position although they did not although they did not remain neutral but liberal media advocated and english press that army is neutral neutral meaning opposing imran khan but not coming on the front uh, so so the question came from the retired officers and soldiers uh, we, 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 for, uh, and this is a huge constituency for pakistani army chief 
so, so there are almost uh, 2.5 million retired soldiers and officers and they have an association known as ex servicemen association and their secretary and president came publicly had a press conference and supported imran khan and criticized the general bajwa the army chief so the army chief had to run to karachi to the lahore to the pindi where we have the largest retired soldiers and had to address them for 5 6 hours and had to clear his position and this is very interestingly and if you are following imran khan's public release he is not really speaking against army he is simply giving some implicit signals that how pakistan foreign policy has been compromised by the people in the military establishment but he praises the soldier their sacrifices and that has been you know very interesting political position that imran khan is taking with the army because he is continue to have massive support within the lower uh, ranks of the army officers and the soldiers because mm-hmm. who considered this war on terror a really a war that we were unnecessarily pushed into that but of course the military elite the top brass has its own economic and strategic interest with washington and that's has been the history so this is very interesting that now at least first time we are seeing that a prime minister has been ousted and the accusation has been leveled against the army chief and the first time a civilian prime minister supposedly seems to be more popular among the army low rank officers and soldiers than a sitting army chief that's what i can say i cannot for go into details because of uh, understood be- understood i don't yeah of course i don't want to jeopardize uh jeopardize you in any way i wanted to ask you though you had mentioned to me that there's this expression in pakistan that it's run by the 3 a's right allah army yeah. and america can you explain what that means and how it kind of gives us an idea of the role that america plays in pakistani affairs very interesting and uh, i'm thankful for you to ask this question well uh, there is a popular phrase that american you know and british historians who are writing on pakistan politics have used that and this is also a very popular phrase of the pakistani politics as well that pakistan is run by three a's allah's are allah army and america that means there are three powers in pakistan politics the allah the army and the america so uh, what does allah here mean uh, allah here means that the the way the religion in pakistani state has been used it has been used by army and it has been interpreted uh, the way american wanted the islam and the religion to be interpreted for their strategic interest uh, particularly in the cold war era against soviet union where the communists were called infidels anti religious and anti islam so so interesting thing is that the way pakistan state has used religion in our you know state craft in our geopolitics it has been used by the military so military has a sole you know dominance over religious narrative and discourse but the way the religion was interpreted or defined was in aligned with the american strategic interest in this region so what we are seeing interestingly first time in pakistan that imran khan has interpreted religion in a way that has actually made it anti imperialist anti america and it has also you know isolated the military's dominance over the religious narrative and discourse as well and it is also the one of the reasons that many of the pakistani liberals and leftists are calling imran khan a right wing populist and fundamentalist because the first time he has been using a religious narrative and has linked it with anti americanism anti imperialism but also his understanding of religion is not what military the understanding of religion was with respect to national ideology so with his religious interpretation one his religion stands against the american interest in this region but by the, by that default also he has challenged the military's dominance over interpretation of religion with national ideology 
So this time it's very interestingly happening. So Allah army in America was used in the context that only that version of religion will be used in Pakistani politics, which suits army and which suits American interests in this region. But Imran Khan has actually reversed this equation very interestingly that he has used the religion to build an anti-imperialist narrative, but he has also used the religion to link it with the welfare state and not the way the army used to link the religion with the national ideology. And that's what the liberal are, you know, uh, feeling sleepless and not admitting that, that this is a first time we have seen within the same discourse of religion, the army dominance over religion has been, you know, uh, isolated as well as the American dominance over religion in the Pakistani context has been also, you know, uh, defeated. Well, on that note, Azhar, I really want to thank you for coming and breaking all this down. This was a really informative conversation, and I really appreciate your perspective. Um, and we're going to be watching uh, the developments in Pakistan, and hopefully we can have you back on to offer more insight. Um, I really, again, I really appreciate it. And also, I just want to note, like, uh, I... I do love the fact that we can, I mean, we did have someone on who kind of gave the op, a different perspective than you did. You mentioned Timor uh, last week. So I love the fact that we have, have you on and you're able to provide context and also really like we can provide a platform for what seems to be a very common view among Pakistanis, as we can see by these massive crowds about what took place and the fact that they believe there was in fact a coup against Imran Khan. So Thank you so much. I mean, I guess the last thing I would ask you is, you know, where can people follow you? Uh, thank you very much, Rania. And uh, it's an honor and pleasure to be with you. And of course, it was an special honor because you've been one of my favorite, you know, uh, journalists <laughs> and activists, particularly, you know, your podcast on video and videos on, you know, what's happening in the Arab world and the Muslim world in the well, context of Lebanon. <laughs> Lebanon have always been a source of inspiration and an intellectual insight that I have used with my students as well. Uh, as long as the follow is concerned, I use my Facebook most of the time. I post and write on that. So it's with, you know, with my name, Azar Imran. So you can follow me on Facebook as well. And I'm also on the Twitter as well. And it is with, uh, you know, Dawal Advocate Azar. So you can also follow me uh, on, on that as well. Or I can put the link of my Facebook and Twitter on your page as well. And people can follow me. Sure. Thank you so much. I will actually include those in the description. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.